Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. In one of his books, the writer Malcolm Gladwell says that the classical music industry some years ago discovered that its process of auditioning was not as bias-free as they had thought. They felt with quite a degree of confidence that they could have the musicians come in, sit before them, play their instruments, and that they would be able to look beyond all the outward trappings dress, appearance, sex, all of that, and make the choice of the very, very best musicians. But then they changed the way they did it, and they discovered that they were not nearly as bias-free as they had thought. The new way meant that they would put up a screen, and the musician would audition from behind the screen. And those who were conducting the audition would then be able to make the decision based only on the music. Curiously, since they went to the new way of auditioning, the number of instrumentalists who are female have increased fivefold. Fivefold. Gladwell writes of an incident, listen to his words, he says, when Julie Landsman auditioned for the role of Principal French Horn at the Met, the screens had just gone up in the practice hall. At the time, there were no women in the brass section of the orchestra because everyone knew, in quotation marks, that women could not play the horn as well as men. But Landsman came and sat down and played, and she played well. I knew in my last round that I had won before they told me, she says, it was because of the way I performed the last piece. I held on to the last high C for a very long time just to leave no doubt in their minds. And they started to laugh because it was above and beyond the call of duty. But when they declared her the winner and she stepped out from behind the screen, there was a gasp. It wasn't just that she was a woman, and it wasn't just the bold high C, which was the kind of macho sound that they expected from a man only. It was because they knew her. Landsman had played for the Met as a substitute. Until they listened to her with just their ears, however, they had no idea she was so good. I reread that story this past week. I read it years ago. I reread it, and it set me to wondering this whole process of auditioning musicians. It set me to wondering what if we were to audition faith in the same manner? 
What if we were to put somebody behind the screen? So we couldn't see how they're dressed. Are they dressed appropriate for church? We couldn't see their pedigree. Couldn't see their appearance. We couldn't see a lot of things about them. Their education, how long they'd been church members. We couldn't see any of that. In fact, now the only thing we could hear is the music. Is the faith of their high sea pure and clean. It got me to wondering about that, especially in light of today's story found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. There's a story about such things in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8. Today we begin a very brief two-part sermon series entitled simply, What Amazes Jesus? We begin in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and I begin reading in verse 5. Matthew says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Matthew tells us that this man came to Jesus. What Matthew doesn't tell us, I'm certain he would have had he remembered, what Matthew doesn't tell us is that Jesus put up a screen and had the man stand behind the screen. The only thing then that we can hear is the music. The only way we can in any way determine whether or not he has faith is the music. The first sounds of the music are compelling, to be honest. The text says he is a centurion. Centurion. Now, we can't see the outward trappings of that. Because he's behind the screen, we can't see the military garb, the Roman crest. We can't see the dagger. We can't see this makeup, this, this garb of a Roman officer 
who bears within him the crush of Rome's heavy boot on the country of Palestine. We can't see any of that because to see that might turn us off. We would say, surely he can't play a high C. Not possible. Not someone like him. We can't see all of that. But the truth is, even though the outward trappings might turn us off to begin with, the fact is, centurions were good people. They were good men. I read to you from one commentary. This, the essence of this was repeated in various ones, but this one said it the best. As this commentary describes centurions, it says... Even in the brief appearance that he makes on the stage of the New Testament story, this centurion is one of the most attractive characters in the Gospels. The centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. In a Roman legion, there were 6,000 men. The legion was divided into 60 centuries, each containing 100 men. And in command of each century, there was a centurion. These centurions were the long-service, regular soldiers of the Roman army. They were responsible for the discipline of the regiment, and they were the cement which held the army together. In peace and in war alike, the morale of the Roman army depended on them. In his description of the Roman army, Polybius describes what a centurion should be. They must not be so much venturesome seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action, and reliable. They ought not be over-anxious to rush into the fight, but when hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their posts. The centurions were the finest men in the Roman army. We can't see that. He's behind the screen. But as the music begins, the music is compelling. He comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And right then, the music begins to rise. It increases in volume and crescendo. Because for this centurion to say, my servant is at home suffering terribly, and by essence to say, and I am concerned about him, says something about the character of the man. This was utterly out of step with the tenor of the times. Servants, slaves really, they were the chattel of the day. There was always one more where that one came from. Don't get attached. You'll need to discipline them. You don't know when you'll need a new one. Don't worry about them. They're none of your business. Keep your mind. Keep your focus. Keep your heart centered on Rome and its duty. And the centurion says, My servant, Lord, he, he's, he's really suffering. Terribly. He's at home. And we close our eyes to the beauty of the music. 
Is it possible to audition faith behind a screen where we can't see all the outward trappings, we can't see how everybody cleans up so nicely, whether or not they're in church, reading and watching the right kinds of things. The music rises. My servant, it's my servant, Lord. I'm worried about him. And then he stops. He doesn't say anything else at that moment in time. No, the next one to speak is Jesus. And, and somehow that touches me. I tried to figure out this week, why does that touch me so much? It's as though the centurion made a statement and, and left it dangling in the air. And Jesus did something which he has done before. He asked a question. It's obvious, Jesus, isn't it? Walks up to the man thrown on the ground by the pool of Bethesda, been in that condition 38 years. Would you like to get well? <laughs> what was your first clue? Would you like to get well? Yet when you think about it, there's, there's something, I don't know, touching about it. Almost as though Jesus wants to make sure he's needed and wanted before he barges in and changes a life. Almost as though he's putting the keys to the car of the person's life in their own hands. You decide. My servant is suffering terribly. And Jesus asks, Shall I come and heal him? What happens next causes amazement. It's not what Jesus says that causes amazement. Now, make no mistake about it. Jesus caused amazement everywhere he went. If you open the gospel records and you begin to peruse them, you will find over and over again just the kind of awe and wonder Jesus created, the astounded people he left in his wake. Writer named Don Everts wrote a little book called God in the Flesh, compelling little volume. He writes it about what he calls the stage directions of the Gospels. The stage directions of the Gospels, according to Everts, are not the red words, not the ones on which we're accustomed to focusing. No, these are, we, we, we think these are the background. These are the directions that are going on behind the scenes. But once you start noticing them, you can't get away from them. I want you to listen to what Everts writes about the stage directions. He says, one of the first themes that jumped out at me when I began to study the stage directions of the Gospels was how many gaping jaws there were. Left and right, we see folks standing around Jesus amazed, women shocked, old men staring, enemies intrigued. Listen to this stunning chorus found within the stage directions of the Gospels. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this? The crowds were amazed and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. 
All the crowds were amazed. They were greatly astounded. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. They were overcome with amazement. They were utterly astounded. They were greatly astounded. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Pilate was amazed. Everyone was amazed at all that he was doing. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. And that's just a short sampling. Everywhere Jesus went, folks were surprised. And this is noteworthy. It's a theme worth paying attention to. Make no mistake about it. Everywhere you go, over and over and over again, people are standing there, jaws open, eyes wide, amazed, astounded by Jesus. But that's not what happens here. Oh, something amazing happens next as we sit on this side of the screen and we feel and hear the music beginning to build. It's beautiful. And then something amazing. Because the centurion speaks, shall I come and heal him, Jesus asks. And the centurion says, no, 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 Lord, no, no, Lord. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The note that we hear is astounding in its purity, its simplicity, its faith. Who is this talking behind the screen? After all, someone who has enough spiritual wisdom and insight to be able to have that kind of understanding of the one who stands before him. That must be one of the highly placed religious people back behind that screen. Somebody who has studied theology all of their lives. Somebody who knows the sacred scrolls. Somebody who understands the messianic expectation. That's who it has to be. Certainly couldn't be somebody foreign. Couldn't be that, could it? I mean, somebody who understands who Jesus is says, you can't come under my roof. But then the music goes higher. And it is then that we hear it. That high C. Pristine. Piercing. The man behind the scenes says, Lord, you are under authority. I am under authority. I understand these things. I understand what it is to speak and have others respond, to require and have others obey. But you're the same. 
New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says it this way. The centurion's words presuppose an understanding of the Roman military system. All authority belonged to the emperor and was delegated. Therefore, because he was under the emperor's authority, when the centurion spoke, he spoke with the emperor's authority, and so his command was obeyed. A foot soldier who disobeyed would not be defying a mere centurion, but the emperor, Rome itself, with all its imperial might and majesty. This self-understanding, the centurion, applied to Jesus. Precisely because Jesus was under God's authority, he was vested with God's authority so that when Jesus spoke, God spoke. To defy Jesus was to defy God and Jesus' word must therefore be vested with God's authority that is able to heal sickness. This analogy reveals an astonishing faith that recognizes that Jesus needed neither ritual, magic, nor any other help. His authority was God's authority, and his word was effective because it was God's word. Jesus, says the man, I don't understand all of it, but I do understand this. I know how authority works. I know that it's not my voice that matters, but the voice of the one behind me, in power above me, over me. Jesus, it works the same way with you. I know it does. At your word, the storm stills. At your voice, fear flees. At your commands, the demons depart. At your directive, death dies. Because you speak the word of God. So please, my home, no, I'm not worthy. Just speak the word. And it's right there. Can you hear it? The high sea, pristine, piercing, penetrating. Can we tell someone's faith from behind the screen? When you take away all of these outward trappings, just speak the word, Jesus, because your word is the word of God. And it's right there, right there, right that moment. Right now, I want you to do me a favor immediately. Just as those words die on the lips of the centurion, look at the face of Jesus. Just look at his face. His eyes grow wide. His eyebrows arch. His mouth falls open. The gospel writer says, Jesus was amazed. Only two times in the gospel record 
People amazed at Jesus time and time and time and time again. Jesus amazed two times. This is the first. He is amazed at the clarity of the note he hears. And so he speaks not to the man behind the screen, not yet. He speaks not to the man, but to the crowd. Who's in the crowd, you ask? We know who's in the crowd. Sermon on the Mount just ended a few verses ago. We know who's in the crowd. It's, it's that crowd that follows Jesus around. His disciples are there. They're in the crowd. They're part of the chosen people. The religious authorities are there. They're part of the crowd. They're part of the chosen people. The ragtag religious rabble that, that is disengorged from every village and hamlet near Jesus, they're there. They're part of the chosen people. They hear it too. Jesus speaks to them. Listen carefully to what he says. Eyes wide, eyebrows darched. He says, I have traversed this land from Mount Hermon in the north to the Dead Sea in the south, from the Jordan River on the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. I have walked all over this chosen land. And I have met every class of people in this land. I've met the religious zealots and the religious outcasts. I've met the Herodians and the Pharisees. I've met the young whose mothers want them blessed to the old who call my mother blessed. I've met all ages in between. No matter where I have been on this land, no matter whom I have met of this people, I tell you, I have never found faith like this. Never. That worries me, quite frankly. Because I think I may do okay with Jesus if we just take away that screen. If we just take that away, I can show him I dress up for church. I've got a theological education. I can, I can show you my name is on the books of this church. I think I can convince him of my faith. But the man is behind the screen and it's as though Jesus is lost in the music. I've not heard it, he says. I've not heard it. No matter where I have been, I've not heard the purity and the simplicity of this faith. Amazing. You know, sometimes you get unexpected things from unexpected people. 
Young father, first-time father in the room, child being born, passes out. Not so unusual. Till you hear the nurses. You know he's a fourth-year med student, don't you? <laughs> Unexpected. Wouldn't have thought that. The traffic, what? Why is there so much traffic at this hour of the day? What is causing that? And finally, there it is, passenger said. I can see it around. It's a truck up there stopped. It's like it ran out of gas. What kind of truck is it? ExxonMobil? <laughs> Not what you'd expect. House fire, tragic, but it happens. House fire, house burns almost totally to the ground. The home of the local electrician. You know what I heard? <laughs> Short, faulty wiring in the attic. You don't expect that. The dentist left. I had an appointment. I know she, she, had to, she had to go today. Wasn't feeling well. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the problem? Well, <laughs> she had a toothache. <laughs> Unexpected things from unexpected people. And Jesus pulls back the screen. And there he stands. Foreign, occupier, military, power, every reason not to believe his faith. And Jesus is astonished. No matter where I've gone, I've never seen faith like this. Sometimes you get unexpected things from unexpected people. I don't know what all that means. Well, I do think it means this. I think it means if you're part of those who say we are in, we need to be careful. In may not be as in as we thought. And if you're part of those who are out, well, somehow with Jesus, in a blink of an eye, out becomes in. Unexpected things from unexpected people. You know, they say, they say, no way to prove it. They say that when we get to heaven, there will be three surprises. Three. First surprise is, well, I'm here. <laughs> That's a surprise. Second surprise comes when you and I run into each other and say, what are you doing here? And the third surprise comes in our conversation. Where is so-and-so? I was sure they'd be here. They just looked the part. Unexpected things from unexpected people. Gracious God, 
Lord, sometimes we want to be auditioned in front of the screen so that all this other stuff can count. Lord, let us learn from an astonished Jesus the lesson that when we place our faith in you, the music is beautiful. Amen.